The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. We made it safely. I had a good trip, short but good, so thank you, and thank you to Nelson, who's also traveling today uh, for preaching in my stead. I do want to, just counting these up, we, and I can't say all the names, you've met two of them, but we have sent out this year, uh, we will have sent out this year about seven people from our church that are serving internationally, five of them are, two are in North Carolina, and we're getting ready to send out two more, I don't know where they're at, uh, Nathaniel and Elizabeth, wherever you guys are hiding, there's Elizabeth, uh, Nathaniel just got a pastorate in, in uh Te- Tecuma, Nebraska. I, I cannot say it. It's in Nebraska. Amen. So uh, up in Nebraska. And so praise God for that. And so within this year, we will have sent out about nine people within a 12-month period to go on the field for gospel ministry. That's amazing, guys. So never think a church our size cannot be a part of the Great Commission in sending, both internationally and serving locally. It's so cool to see. So thank you for your faithfulness. All right, well, it is Christmas time. Thank you for whoever gave me this tie. It's awesome. I love it. It doesn't match my shirt, but it's Christmas, so it all is good. Amen? God is good. It works out. But this morning, I want to look at the awesome news of Jesus' coming uh, briefly this morning. And, you know, every year we want to have the best Christmas ever, right? That's what it's all about, the best Christmas ever. We're going to outdo the year before. And there was a father who said just that. He told his kids, Christmas is going to be different this year, kids. Get that. So he challenged them to be more disciplined in the management of their time during the busy Christmas season and to stop spending money on gifts that they're just going to throw away or break anyway. I mean, that never happens, I'm sure, at your house, but it does at ours all the time. So he talked about being better relations and visiting people and being of good cheer and all this great stuff and being kind around the house more than just during Christmas time. And he brought the speech to a climax with a final cry as he told his kids. He said, let's make this the best Christmas ever. And then he asked his kids, any questions? And wouldn't you know, his little second grade son quickly raised his hand as only an eight or nine year old can. And with a sense of bewilderment, he said, but dad, I don't see how we could ever improve on the first Christmas with Jesus. Can we beat that? Ooh, makes every parent shudder in here, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Because <laughs> we've all said that to some extent. And that question is the burden of this sermon. How can you top what Jesus Christ has done for us and everything that he can? I mean, how can you improve on the first Christmas when a virgin teenager named Mary gave birth to the infant God? How can you improve on the first Christmas when a star of wise men led, uh, the star led the wise men from the east to the birthplace of Christ so they could worship him? How can you improve on the first Christmas when King Herod went into a rage upon the, the, the hearing of one who was born king of the Jews? And how can you improve on the first Christmas when an angelic choir sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Can you top that, Hollywood? Not quite. You can't do it. But it's a great reminder to us that this story of Christmas is something that has been told from long ago. And in fact, Genesis 3.15 and this great picture makes me get the eebie-jeebies just looking at it. The snake 
But I will put enmity, God said, between you, speaking to Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And what this is referring to, of course, is the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And the Christmas story is told to liberate us from our addiction to this world and free us to the reality that God has come and He is among us for all those who trust Him by faith alone. And so this morning, I want to look at four quick reasons about that very thing. But why does Christmas never seem to live up to the buildup? You ever think about that? I mean, so for so many of us, we get in the Christmas spirit, but then by December 26th, bah humbug has already started, right? But why do we struggle so much to see what we're getting into today as the main point? I hope to answer those questions, but the big idea today is that the incarnation of Jesus is that God's clear evidence that He will make good on every promise He has made to us. And that's good news for us, because without that, we are truly hopeless. And I would submit to you today that no matter how special the gifts you receive today or tomorrow or, or, or Tuesday, no matter how good the food you will enjoy, no matter how warm the fellowship you'll experience, or, or this by no means compares to any drop of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In fact, your celebration of Christmas on Tuesday will ultimately be meaningless if it doesn't flow from the understanding of what happened that first, if you will, Christmas day. Now, Pastor, was, was he born on December 25th? No, that's, that's tradition. But, but the point is, he was born. It doesn't matter when he was. That's the amazing part. And if you don't acknowledge and embrace and reflect upon the meaning of Christmas, you'll miss the beauty of the day for, for trees, gifts, eggnog, bad ties, and anything else the season throws at you. But one thing is true. Christ has come. So four quick facets of the incarnation today. The awesome news that's before us. The timing was awesome. The timing was awesome. The source of the coming was awesome. The manner was awesome, and the purpose is awesome news. It really, really is. So with that in mind, if you're able, if you would join us in standing and in respect and honor of God's Word, if you're able this morning, just two verses. We look at Galatians 6, or, uh, excuse me, Galatians 4, 4 to 5 as we start out this morning. Hear the Word of the Lord as God speaks it to you today. I'll be reading out of the ESV Bible, uh, same as the Pew Bible. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is great news for us today, and I, I pray that these verses affirm for you the awesome news of Jesus' coming. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we are grateful not for the things that this time of year offers, but for the, the one who offered himself to us so many years ago. Father, that your son condescended, he, as, as the message would say, uh, he, he moved into the neighborhood. Father, you, you came down, uh, you sent your son to come down in human flesh, fully God, fully man, yet, Lord, sinless as, you, as your son was, to die for our sins, to be buried, to rise again. Lord, what great news that is. You have truly so loved the world, us being the chief of sinners, yet, Lord, you've loved us so much that you gave us Christ. Thank you, for, Father, for that. We thank you for your grace. Give us wisdom now in these coming moments. Father, convict those who need conviction, comfort those who need comfort, and challenge those who need challenging today. Not 
by me, move me out of the way, but may your spirit move among us, Father, without your spirit moving. These are just vain words. So, Lord, be glorified this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. All right, you may be seated as we get started this morning. Well, the, the, the first thing I want you to see about Jesus' coming is the, the timing of this awesome news, the, the timing of the awesome news. Uh, we read just a minute ago about uh, how the very first proclamation that God himself would come came in Genesis 3.15, where, where God said to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And centuries later, in Genesis 12, Abraham was promised that he would have a son. And through that son would come the blessing that would be for all the descendants of the earth. And then in Genesis 49.10, as Jacob was breathing his last and giving his blessing to his sons, he told this in Genesis 49.10, he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Genesis 49.10 of the coming Savior. And of course, God promised David that he would have someone on the throne forever and ever and ever. And in Daniel 9, 24 and 27, Daniel was given insight to the exact time frame when Christ would come to the earth. It's all over the place, the timing of this awesome news. And the Jews knew these prophecies. They, they expected these prophecies. They often had false Christ coming and going during those days. Yet when you reach the end of the Old Testament, the promise isn't fulfilled. And though it's repeated many times, and in fact, between, of course, Malachi in the Old Testament and Matthew 1, if you will, of the New, God, in a sense, stopped speaking until the ministry of John the Baptist, not the first Southern Baptist. That's not what he was. He was a baptizer. But John the Baptist began, and there had not been a prophetic voice for 400 years. And when Jesus came on the scene, they wanted nothing to do with him. And yet God kept speaking and speaking and speaking. But from a human standpoint, it looked like God was dragging his feet, taking his time, taking a vacation, not checking in, and he's just doing that thing. But I want you to notice what Galatians 4.4 says. Did you see what that said? Look back at the verse. It says, but when the fullness of time had come. That's awesome news. The incarnation of Jesus took place according to the sovereign timing, the providential orchestration, and the perfect schedule of God. Now, I wish we could get a tap into that and figure that out sometimes for our own lives, don't you? If you could just say, well, God, when is this going to happen in my life? And that's scary news because we don't need that information, therefore we trust God. But Christ was born in the fullness of time. But even though we don't know exactly the day of his birth, isn't it significant? And do they still do this, the B.C. and A.D.? I think that's kind of gone by the wayside before Christ and after Christ or after death. And the life of Christ is the very hinge of humanity. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, and he's the intersection of earth and heaven. And the timing and the meeting place the Bible affirms, invaded at just the right time at the appointed time. It was a time of prophetic fulfillment. There was religious fervor. People were getting excited. There was international peace. But isn't it interesting, with international peace, as we all long for, there was also great moral decline in the Roman Empire at the time. We see that even in John the Baptist calls out Herod for marrying his brother's wife. But it was also a time of cultural harmony. 
And at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son into the world. The incarnation was no last-minute decision by God saying, oh man, what am I going to do? It was not hastily thrown together. It wasn't too early. It wasn't too late. It was during the fullness of time, right when God wanted it to be. And that's good news for us. Our God is not a flimsy God. Our God is not a haphazard God. He doesn't look down the corridor of time and say, oh, that looks like a good place to do it, but I got to figure out what this person's going to do before I do that. You know, that's how we do it, isn't it? Hey, I'll be at that party, and you give that like button on Facebook, I'm going, and they plan your plate for you because you said you were going, but then a better party comes along, and you're like, sorry, I'm sick, I can't go, just don't tell anyone, but I'm going over here. Our God doesn't do that. Our God doesn't wait for the best uh, thing. He has already planned out the thing. And that thing is for our good and for our salvation. If you're a Christian here today, simple reminder for you. Because God is God, there are no such things as accidents. Can I throw out some vocabulary in our minds? Luck? Throw it out. Uh, yeah, luck. Those little things that you spend. Does anyone have one of those? Those little rabbit's foot, feet, fit foot, whatever? Throw that out, please. All those things. We don't believe in that. Coincidences? Not a thing in God's economy. Nothing just happens, but everything happens according to God's timetable, and God's timing is perfect. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time, and as you pray, He hears you. He heard the Israelites when they called out in Egypt uh, in slavery. He hears your prayers. Praise God for that through Christ. But the cross was not a human accident, but a divine appointment. The birth of Christ was not an accident, but a divine appointment. And let me put a footnote in here. Jesus will come back at the fullness of time. He will come back. He is coming back at the timetable he wants. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. All those whom God has called out and chosen will come to Christ because he's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last. So the timing of Christ. Now, you can get into the story, the roads were this way, the roads were perfect, yeah, all that stuff, but God chose the time, and when He chose the time, it's going to happen in His time frame. Christian, hang on. You may be praying for someone to come to Christ. You may be praying for single for a spouse. You may be praying for your kids to listen to you once in a while. You may be praying for lots of things for this church, and keep praying, but trust that God is not a God of accidents, and His timing truly is perfect. If God planned His Son to come at a certain time, don't you think He can take care of your needs at whatever time frame that is? He sure can. Secondly, not only is the timing of the incarnation awesome news, but the source is awesome news. Notice what this says. Go back to verse 4. It says that God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. Not a Baptist committee on committees on committees on committees twice overturned, but God. Not a vote by the people in a democracy. Not a, a ruling king saying, my dictation is this, but God sent forth. The gospel is of God. If our gospel ever gets mixed in anything, then we have lost the gospel. I remember this, and she may watch this at some point, but we had a youth in our former church, and it was my first year there. I, she didn't know this, but I had taken a little glass of water uh, from, the, from the, uh, the, the tap water there in the youth house, and, but I went to the toilet. I'd cleaned it before, I promise you. Took a, a little dropper, and I put a little drop of water in that, 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 that glass, 
And she was in sixth grade at the time, fearless, you know, peer pressured up. And I asked the youth, who wants to drink this water? And all the others are like, you did something to the water. They were smart. She's like, no, I'm going to drink this water. And she guzzled that thing so much. And I said, Ashley, but did you know that they, that 1% in there was, was toilet water? And she never let me hear the end of it after that. She was safe. But that water, clean as it may have been after my cleaning, being a single young man, was in that water. Friends, any gospel that comes your way that has any of you or me or this or that in it that's not solely, wholly trusting in God is not a gospel at all. The source has to be clear and clean as it comes in. And it says that Paul sent forth, that God that sent forth, it means that God literally uh, uses this as a way to send forth his greatest blessing. That word sent forth it refers to a, a, a person being commissioned, a, a general sending an army. But when a savior was needed to be man's substitute, God didn't send the second string quarterback. He did, who is our second string quarterback? I don't care. We got Mahomes, right? That's all that matters. But God didn't need to send anyone else. He sent forth His Son. And I declare to you that the source of the incarnation is good news because it was a Savior we needed. God gave us His very best. He didn't give us half of a gospel and say, here's my Son, you go fill out the other 25% as most believe. He said, it is done, it's done, it's done. That is the source of the incarnation. Friends, we ask God to say something definite and God getting personal sent Jesus, and we were surprised. We really were. You mean you sent forth your very self to save us? That's exactly what happened. How awesome news that is. That's why at this church we are so particular about what we believe when it concerns the gospel. We can link arms generally with the public on a lot of great and good causes, but spiritually, we can never differentiate from this message. It is Jesus Christ crucified and nothing else that is our gospel. Buried, risen again. When Adam and Eve ate us out of house and home, literally, God didn't send us, just send us Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God didn't just send Moses and Joshua, David and Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets, apostles, and angels. What did the verse say as the source of everything? God sent forth His Son. And that's what we need. That's what you need every second of every day. Your house may be an atomic mess, but the greatest news you have is that Jesus still loves you, even though the laundry hadn't been done for 5,000 years. God still loves you because He knew your greatest need was nothing more than His very own Son. You know, imagine if you had a criminal, uh, a pretty good criminal who was sitting on death row uh, and they finally catch him, he's arrested, he's charged, he's convicted, he's sentenced, and the punishment is death. He's exhausted all of his appeals. He, he, the time has come. He's trying not to think about the day of his death. He's trying to ignore the reality, but it keeps popping up in his head. He's doomed. I mean, there's really no way out of this. If, and he can't get help but get quiet when he hears those footsteps coming down the prison walls. And indeed, one day those steps are there, and the door opens. And to his surprise, in walks the judge who sentences him. And he screams out in anger, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And when he finally calms down, he explains in his heart, he explains that, that as he heard the case again, his heart went out to him, the judge told the, the prisoner. And he wanted to do something to help him, but he was guilty. 
and justice demanded of this man that he be convicted. But today, the judge came to tell him that he had been set free. That's a little weird. Man doesn't ask any questions. He just gets his stuff out and goes. But as they're leading him out, they're also leading someone else in. And the convict asks him, who's that guy? Who's he? What's he doing here? And the judge tells him that someone had paid his penalty. And when he told the fellow about the, the, the convict situation, he volunteered to take his place. But I want you to know, said the judge, this man has done nothing wrong. He's totally innocent. He's the best person I've ever met. And in fact, I ought to know him. He's my very son. And is that not the picture of the awesome news of the gospel? That while we were on death row, God himself came, not anyone else, but God himself came to save us from the prison that was sin, death, and destruction. Praise God for that. You know these verses well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. Praise God for the source. So the timing of the, of the coming of Christ is awesome, the, the, the source of the coming of Christ, but thirdly, I want you to see the manner of the coming of Christ. Before we get there, there's a story I, I think is great, but a little girl who had heard sounds in the dark, she became very afraid and couldn't sleep, and uh, she rushed into her parents' bedroom begging to sleep in the bed with them, but they refused, right, because they have to sleep too. And instead, they prayed with their girl, sent her back to her room, and told her to remember that God was with her. She went back in her room and tried to sleep, but it didn't work. And she went back only to be sent away and reminded that God was with her. And this went on and on, and it didn't work. So she made her way to her parents' room one more time. And this time, they were a little less patient. And they said, didn't we pray with you? Didn't we tell you God's with you? And, and so what's the problem? Her reply is pretty classic. She said, Mommy, but God doesn't have any skin on. I can't see Him. And isn't that how it is with the Incarnation? We hear these awesome things about Jesus. But like that little girl in our minds, we think, but that was 2,000 years ago. Where is it at right now? I mean, look at the world, Pastor. It's crazy. It's going on and this and that and all these things. But before the incarnation, every method God used to declare his love was misunderstood because it didn't have skin on. But 2,000 years ago, God really, historically, accurately, legitimately sent forth His Son. I've told you this back a month ago. The History Channel, if you watch it on Christmas Eve, is going to say, well, we're not really sure there's a man named Jesus. There are lots of men named Jesus, but can we really be sure this was the like a fine Waldo Jesus kind of thing? Friends, we don't have to hope anymore. He has come. But in the incarnation, God perfectly declared His love for us. He spoke a language we can understand. That's why if you look back at verse 4, He tells you the manner in which He came. He was born of a woman, born under the law. That's the manner. He was born of a woman, born under the law. He literally came to us in the flesh. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And that's why at His birth, as Amiel put up, Jesus was unlike any baby ever born. He was eternal deity joined to sinless humanity, and you might call him the infinite infant, if you're going to say that five times fast. The infinite infant. God sent forth his son. This can only mean one thing. He was born of a woman. You know, our Sunday school class talked about this. What does that mean? Does that mean like the Mormons that, that, that God the Father physically had relations with Mary? No, that's blasphemy. 
Does this mean that Mary stayed a virgin for the rest of her life? No. Mary had other kids at other times. What it means is that this woman was pure. She was a virgin. But as a virgin, she remained unstained in giving birth to this child because there was no father who gave birth to this child. It was of the Holy Spirit. Well, Darren, how does that work? Great question. I don't know. But one thing I do know is God said it, and I truly do believe it. And if anyone, you know, if you think, well, you know, that's just the most mindless, get in line, yes, sir, kind of response ever. No, that's actually not. Because you know what? There are things in this life that we accept and we know and we do all the time. You get on airplanes all the time. Well, some of you do. <laughs> you drive your car. Uh, we, we, you know, and sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. You could hit a pole. You could slide off the side of the edge. You could get there safely. You don't know. There's a mystery there to it, and yet we accept that. But when it comes to this, so many Christians will say, I don't get it, I don't believe it, therefore it's not true. Not at all. Friends, there is a mystery to God. How can God be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three gods in one? Look, I know what the Word says. It's true, but your mind goes, just like that. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? There is a mystery there. But Christian, it's okay to be okay with that mystery. It's okay to say, you know, I don't understand it all, but I definitely believe it. Husbands, sometimes that's a mystery you have with your wife. Why in the world does she still love me after all these years, right? But yet you accept it and you move on with it because you know it to be true. So much can be said here, but it's, it's ridiculous for Paul to point out that Christ was born of a woman if he was no more than a man. But the fact is, on this Christmas weekend, that Jesus is the eternal Son, the second person of the undivided Trinity, became flesh in the person of Jesus. I mean, church, not only does the Bible teach Jesus is God, but it teaches He was human. He was born, He grew, He lived, there were foods He didn't like, and there were foods He did like. He had to go potty, He had to take a shower, He ate, He drank, He slept, He cried, and of course, as we know, He even died. Jesus is not some phantom deity who came in the appearance of human flesh. He is just as much as human as we are. But the God who filled the universe and it imploded and became, basically, he, he did all this stuff. He walked and talked and dressed himself just like us, yet he was fully God. What an awesome God. In the incarnation, God's Son is deliberately handicapping him himself. He exchanges omniscience for a brain that learned Aramaic omnipresence for two legs and an occasional donkey, and omnipotence, the power to do everything for strong enough to saw wood, but too weak for self-defense. God became a human being, yet not losing any of His deity. If that mystery bothers you, that's a good thing, because it should. You know, I was running on the treadmill on Friday. I don't usually share these stories. I know i got to move, but running on the treadmill, and I was watching this show at 3 in the morning before Natalie went to work. Uh, I prayed and talked to God, and I was like, I want to watch a show called Noah. It's about these guys who are trying to find Noah's Ark. Like, their life's purpose is Noah's Ark, right? And at the very end, they just asked him, what if you never find Noah's Ark? And one of them was finally honest, and he finally said, if I don't find Noah's Ark, I don't think there's a God. I don't know what kind of faith that man has. But it's not the faith that's founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is not built on whether we find the Noah's Ark or two weeks ago that made the newsways, the Ark of the Covenant, which was supposedly in Ethiopia somewhere. Folks, our, our faith is not built on relics. 
our faith is built on God Himself who come and dwelt among us. That's the God that we have. Number four, and I've got to go fast, the timing of the incarnation, the source of the incarnation is awesome. The manner is awesome news. And finally, the purpose. Salvation comes through faith and in Christ, and, and that is what it is. It is faith in Christ. Uh, we praise God for the virgin birth. We praise God for the sinless life, the matchless teachings. But all these would have railed, uh, availed nothing, rather, if in fact they were not for our salvation at the cross. Look at verse 5. Why did He do all these things? He tells us what the purpose is, what Jesus came for. It is to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. To redeem those who are under the law. That word redeem means to release by paying a ransom. It's a commercial term that was used for buying slaves and selling slaves and freeing slaves even. That's why in John 8, 34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin is bondage from which we cannot get our own get-out-of-jail-free card on from the Monopoly board for eternity. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Just go buy your Monopoly and you get out of jail free. But Jesus says, without a Redeemer, there is no freedom. John 8, 35 and 36, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is what we know to be true. The only way you can avoid the holy wrath of an eternal judgment is if God the Son sets you free. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to give you a Lamborghini. He didn't come to pay your bills. He didn't come so that you would have food on the table. He can already provide that from heaven. If our greatest need had been information, you know these well, you hear these on Facebook all the time, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an, an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is salvation. So God sent us a redeemer. Amen? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. The purchase price for us was the death of Jesus. He stood before God with all our sin upon him, that we, through faith, might stand before God with none of our sin on us. He who was righteous was judged as unrighteous, that we who are unrighteous should be judged before God as righteous. He who uh, made for us all that God must judge by faith, and we are made in him that God cannot judge us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. But there's a word in there. Did you notice it? I don't have time to unpack it. But do you see that word adopt? What does that mean? Adoption. You've been adopted. Spiritually speaking, adopted. What does that mean? It's kind of three-dimensional. First, we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed from the bondage of sin. We're redeemed by something, the blood of Jesus, and we're redeemed into something, His sons and daughters. Let me just take a side back here. You know, it's very popular in our culture today to say that everyone is just a son and a daughter of God. That is not true. In fact, the only way you can become a son or daughter of God is how? Is by believing in Jesus. 
Now, has everyone been created in the image of God? Absolutely. That's why we should treat each other with respect, even if we're not a Christian. So the worst witnessing we can do is when we literally foul breed people with the gospel, beat them over the head with no grace in our witness. That's bad. We're not just lining them up, shooting them down, and taking notches John Wayne style evangelistically. But what we do believe is that those who are sons and daughters of God are those who believe in Jesus, the one who came. That is the only way you can become a son or daughter of God. Two weeks ago, I preached on this, but John 1, 11, and 12 says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Amen. From day one, and Amy will put this up, from day one, Jesus had only one goal in mind, one goal. Everything He said and did was to this one purpose, to reconcile sinners like you but, but, Pastor, didn't Jesus come that we might have a better life? Yeah, in some sense. He taught us how to live well. Didn't Jesus come that we might have better family relations? Actually, Jesus said if you don't, love, you don't hate your mother, brother, and every relation more than you love him, then you can't be his disciple. So Jesus came to set the record straight. But what he does is he takes us as part of his own. But what we are saying is that if you are truly a Christian then you are someone who's been adopted. You have a relationship with God, and you are enjoying that because you have been regenerated. You've been converted. You've been saved. We are adopted into His family and adopted as sons and daughters. How awesome is that? So that is what we are. We are here. That great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a forte. You can start singing it. Start now. Oh, what a foretaste of heavenly, uh, glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. We've been received as people of God. What a great, great work that is. Friends, only a phony God would be pleased with our works. Only a temperamental God would be satisfied with our sacrifices. Only a puny God would be impressed with our pain. Only a heartless God would sell salvation to the highest bidder. And only a holy, sovereign, and gracious God would step out of eternity and do what He did for us in giving Himself. And that's what God did. I'll close with this story. I just beat the Bible. This picture is going to look a little synonymous. But Billy Sunday, many of you, uh, Jack, you weren't even alive when this guy was. Jack, wherever you are, this guy predates you, Jack. So that means it's been a while. I love you, brother. But Billy Sunday was one of the greatest evangelists the world at the, the time had known. And he was helping his workers take down a tent after a meeting when a young man came running in. And out of breath, the young man said, I wanted to come to the revival, but I missed the meeting. So what do I do? Please tell me. I want to be saved. And Billy Sunday simply said, you're too late. And he kept taking down the tent. <laughs> Must not have been a Baptist, right? And the young man responded, just because I missed the meeting, you're not going to tell me how to get saved? And Billy Sunday said, no, you're too late to do anything. You're not too late to do anything to be saved because Jesus did it for you 2,000 years ago. Now go and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The man had it all backwards. Friends, the incarnation is great news because it tells us that God gave us the perfect timing. He gave us the perfect source the timing was perfect, the source was himself, the manner was himself, and the purpose was with us in mind. No other God will ever do that for you. 
Merry Christmas. God loves you. You can smile big because of that. Will you join me in prayer as we close out today? Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel of our son. We know this well at this church. We preach it. We talk about it. We do our best to live it out in community, imperfect as we are. But Father, this Christmas, may this not be the best Christmas ever, whatever that means. But Father, may it just be a reminder of the only Christmas that ever really mattered in the sense of eternity is that your son came. And forevermore, Father, we look with great anticipation to your return. Because, Father, we know not the day or the hour, but we do know that you are coming. You, you, you promised you would come the first time, and that was true. And how much more will you fulfill the promises you have for us to come again? Father, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know Jesus, anyone who may hear the sermon later on. Uh, Father, that, that by your Spirit you draw them to Christ. You humble them. As Luke was sharing about that young man who, uh, through a period of uh, nine months or a year, heard the gospel over and over and over again. Father, whatever time frame it is, would you use your spirit to draw people to yourself so that they would be saved? Father, help us to be ambassadors this week for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. May it be all about him as we go this week. Thank you for all the fun things we get to do with family, but thank you for the greatest gift, and that is your son. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen.